Good morning, church. Uh, let me take this opportunity to go ahead and wish everyone a happy new year. I hope that your 2021 is off to a good start. Um, I know a lot of us, we have uh, we've been praying for a better 2021 than we saw in 2020. Um, I certainly hope that's the case for you and yours, but um, I hope that your new year is off to a good start. I hate that we cannot be together in person, uh, but again, I appreciate your patience. I think given circumstances locally, this is the right decision for us, and I think this is the right way for us to go, and I hope that you're doing well, and I look forward to seeing all of you in person um, next week. I'll say this, with a new year uh, comes a new sermon series. This is something I've been planning on now uh, for months. I told Brother Tim about this. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, back in the fall, it's something I've been praying toward and working toward for some time now. I think it's a, a real need for us. So uh, beginning today and continuing for the next several weeks, you and I are going to enjoy a study of the book of James together. Uh, you're going to find that James is a very practical book. Um, it, it's a book that really gets to you know where the rubber meets the road. Uh, what does this actually look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? How is the Christian faith lived out? And the reason that the book of James is so practical to you and I is because of James' primary concern. And this is what drew me to the book. I just see it as a pressing need in our culture and in many of our lives. Like most of the books of the Bible, uh, James does contain several themes but it seems to me as I study this book and as I read it, and I, as I have several times in preparation for this series, there's one primary concern that always seems to work its way to the top of the list, and that is the issue of authenticity or genuineness, the, the real deal. James is so concerned that you and I live out the Christian faith. He, he's so concerned that we are authentic in our profession, that we're genuine in the exercises of our faith. It, it kind of moves us to questions like, you know, what does genuine faith in Jesus Christ look like? You know, what does it sound like? What are some of the marks of spiritual authenticity? You know, that, that idea really flows through the entire letter of James, as we're going to see. Uh, and, and that's big for all of us. I mean, don't we want our profession, our faith, our walk, to be genuine? I, I know that we all do. I certainly want that in my life. And by the way, what happens if it's not? I think that's equally a concern in the book. What happens for us? What happens for the church, the testimony, the witness of Christ? What happens if it's not true? What if my profession and my lifestyle don't agree? What if how I live doesn't really align with what I say I believe, then I face a crisis in credibility. It, it, and that's what I'm going to really entitle this entire series. It's a, it's a series as we explore this credibility crisis that I would say that Christianity and many of us as Christians face in this world. How can, if my profession and my lifestyle don't agree, if my beliefs and how I live don't agree, how, how can the world take me seriously? And even more importantly, how can it take the claims of Christ seriously? How can my wife take me seriously? How about my kids, my coworkers? How do they take me seriously if I say I believe one thing only to live some other way? Now, before you say, well, Brother Ben, I don't really care if it's credible. I don't really care what other people think. I'm just here to please the Lord. Well, I agree with that. 
Really, we live for an audience of one. I agree with that. Okay, our primary concern is that God would approve of us, not someone else. But we are called to represent Jesus to a watching world. We are called to be effective witnesses. We are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so it does matter that our faith is credible in the eyes of the world. Now, they may not always understand. They may not always approve. They may not always agree. But we need to give an effective witness. So I would say to you that this idea of authenticity and genuineness, this idea of credibility is super important as you and I try to make an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And that seems to be the issue here in James, okay? Uh, maybe among certain groups of people or maybe certain segments of society or certain parts of the Roman Empire back then, whatever, whatever the exact circumstances here, because James is writing, as we're going to see, to the dispersed believers, those who had been scattered because of local pockets of persecution. He's writing to them, and it seems to me that whatever the specific circumstances, that's the issue back then much as it is today, especially in Western culture. You know, as I read this letter, and again, I did this several times as I prepared for this series, this credibility crisis, um, I mean, it just, it, it's his primary concern. Now, I don't know if he would use those words to describe it, but it fits, okay? How could his readers demonstrate the reality of this newfound faith to a watching world? How do they confront the questions and the challenges that life in Christ inevitably brings? How do they live the truth of the gospel in such a way that they gain credibility for themselves and then by association for Jesus? Okay? That's the issue, and it's the same for us. I have to tell you, the motivation for this series really began months ago really began to take shape in my mind as I watched America go through its presidential election. I watched as analysts and news anchors and citizens and, and even the candidates themselves, as they really avoided the issues and instead focused on attacking each other and each other's credibility, and whether they even had a right to be there. So instead of really dealing with the issues, we went after credibility. It's such an issue. I mean, how do we defeat this virus? Well, I don't know, but what about your son? What do we do economically? I don't know, but how many times you go golfing this week? I mean, they didn't even deal with the issues. They attacked each other. And this is at the highest office in the land. We didn't talk about the policies or the moral dilemmas or the social needs that have to be addressed. We attacked each other. That's what I'm talking about. There is this crisis of credibility, and it runs through our, the, the fabric of our entire Western culture. It's a cultural thing. And it's not just politicians. Think right now in America, the credibility crisis facing, say, for example, law enforcement. And it just seems the lack of respect and trust. The, the, the cynical and skeptical ways people are looking at the healthcare industry, especially after COVID, this new vaccine. And are we going to take it? And are we not? Do we trust it? Financial cynicism ethical and moral skepticism, and all of that then leads into this spiritual and, if you will, religious skepticism. That's our culture. And into that culture, you and I have been called as followers of Jesus Christ, as his witnesses. James 
addresses that. He helps us to, to really deal with that because it's so important we can't avoid it. And I have to tell you, it seems to be a specific issue, particularly for Christianity and, and for Christians individually. Um, it just seems to me today that that virtually every foundation of the Christian faith is is in some way picked apart. You know, our belief system, the Christian ethic, the Christian worldview, the Christian lifestyle, routinely, all of this is called into question. And as we study James, maybe we can get some fresh insight, some motivation, some perspective, because here's the thing, knowing that we face a crisis in credibility isn't enough. What are we going to do to overcome this credibility crisis so that we are more effective in ministry, our witness is more potent, and most importantly, the name of Jesus is proclaimed and honored. How do we face this? How do we convince the world that he is who he claims to be? We're going to begin today with just a little overview. I thought this would be a good use of our time since we can't be together in person. So I hope that you're open to James chapter 1, and I hope you'll follow along. I'm going to move quickly today, and I'm just going to survey these things that's going, that are going to occupy our attention for the next several weeks. I'll go ahead and apologize in advance if this is more of a Bible study type sermon, if you will. But I want to prepare our minds and hearts for what the Lord has in store for us, okay? Remember our central question every week, how can I live in such a way that I gain credibility and faith and witness and ministry so that the Lord is honored and glorified and people come to know him. That's our big issue. How do I face this crisis in credibility so that that can happen? I want to share with you today very quickly 10 ways that we face the crisis and gain credibility for our witness, and more importantly, for the Lord. Okay, this is just a quick preview. I hope you'll follow along. And then what we're going to do over the next several weeks is look at each one of these individually because they each require more time than I can give it in one sermon. I pray that we'll find it a growing and building experience together. All right, so number one in chapter one, we'll begin and just kind of move through again. Keep in mind, over the next several weeks, we'll look at each of these individually week by week per week, okay? So number one, we gain credibility through growth. And I have to tell you that on a personal level, as I think about credibility for me, not just the Christian faith per se, but me and my walk, my life, my credibility as a witness for Jesus, I think this is the surest way to gain credibility. Now, it's not the easiest and it's not the fastest way. Okay, growth takes time, but the surest way to gain credibility is to demonstrate growth in Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is so significant that we will spend the first two weeks of our study on this. To get us started, take a look at chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice the issue is persevering under trial. Next week, we'll talk about how we grow through trial, and then the next week, we'll talk about how we go through temptation, and, and we'll see the relationship there. But growth is the focus for the first two weeks. I don't know about you, but I, I don't plan on, on gaining credibility in anyone's eyes through pretending or through perfection. I can't achieve that, but I can show you how Jesus has helped me grow, and as you see my growth, I hope 
that my faith and my profession would gain credibility in your eyes. And through that, Jesus would gain credibility in your eyes. I know I have seen and I have known, I've experienced it myself over the years, where I see somebody who was so changed by Jesus Christ that I couldn't help but notice. And and I would pray that people would say the same about me. Not that I was a bad person per se, but there's no question that I'm different. When I was a 21-year-old and met Jesus, I changed, okay? And progressively so after that over the years. And that growth should be a statement of credibility to my profession in Jesus Christ. As we face trials, as we face temptations, and we grow, we gain approval, verse 12 says. Did you notice it? Once he has been approved. Now here, this is talking about the Lord's approval. Hence the idea of receiving the crown. And we'll talk about that more when we get there. But I would say this, we don't just gain his approval. People take notice too. And this allows us to be more effective in witness and in ministry as we demonstrate the reality of Christ in our lives, as we face adversity, as we triumph over temptation, as we grow, other people take notice. I would say this is how we overcome that long-standing charge of hypocrisy. You and I know it. Well, these people in church are just hypocrites, okay? Well, as we demonstrate genuineness through growth, it is really hard to make that charge. And so one of the ways, in fact, I would say again, the most direct route on a personal level to credibility is we gain credibility through growth. That's number one. Number two, we gain credibility through character. This has been at the center of all this I've mentioned um, in the presidential debates and the presidential election and the aftermath of it. It's so much to do with somebody's personal character, whether you approve or disapprove, whether you think it's legit or not. But it's not just for presidential candidates. I don't do much on social media, but I, I do have my little Twitter profile that I check my Twitter feed, keep up with news and sports and stuff. And it amazes me how we feel so bold when we're on social media that we can just blast people and say what we want and attack folks and their credibility and their character because we don't have to set their face. We live in a day and age when it is so easy to attack others at this very point. Assaulting their character with seemingly very little consequence and very little thought about it. It just seems second nature to so many people. Well, one of the ways then that it would seem that we would gain credibility in the eyes of others would be through strong, Christ-like character. Notice chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Notice we have on the one hand this proof, on the other hand, delusion. Uh, People are delusional about things and, and they're disillusioned with things. On the other hand would be those who are proven whose character has stood the test, whose credibility is is deserved, okay? As we grow in Christ's likeness, as his character becomes ours, others begin to see us and him for who we are. Now, they may not agree, they may not understand, they may not like it, but they're going to take notice. I can think of some popular examples, and I'll give you a few just off the top of my head. 
I grew up so um, honoring someone like Billy Graham. And uh, I can think of the way that people spoke of him, even those who did not agree with his convictions. He had carved out such a character that people respected him. I look at even in, in my days, athletes and others. Um, I, I've noticed Tim Tebow had posted some things here recently around Christmas. And I think about him and how over time he's kind of carved out that niche and people know what he stands for. Now, they may not agree and they may even oppose him, but his character has stood the test of time. We gain credibility through character. All right. That's number two. Number three, we gain credibility through compassion. And in fact, I think right now in American culture, this is what people are crying out for, somebody to be compassionate. I, I think you would agree when I say that the way we treat others could either help us gain credibility or it could be the quickest path to losing it. We can't claim to be the people of God. We can't claim to be followers of Jesus and then treat people like the devil. That's never going to square. How would we ever gain credibility like that? And we must be the church, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, and treat people with compassion, just as the Lord did. In what I think we can only read as an injunction against any form of prejudice or discrimination, take a look, if you will, at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. So chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Uh, it's really such an issue in our country right now. It, it, just James is right on it right here. You know, uh, if we think about this. I mean, the royal law, the kingly law. Jesus did tell us that the greatest of all commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Part A, part B of the one command. It's the royal law. And if you do that, he says, you do well. But if you discriminate, if you are unfair or unjust, if you show partiality, it's sin, and you're convicted by the law, he says. That's not the way we gain credibility, because not only does God's law convict us, but other people do, too, in their minds and hearts. We have no credibility there, but compassion. Compassion gains credibility. It's remarkable, and people take notice. If we treat others with compassion, and by the way, who are we talking about? Not just those like us, but those unlike us. Maybe the needy, the poor, maybe those folks in society who are marginalized and pushed to the side, maybe those of other races or nationalities, maybe those who speak another language, could be people from other classes or demographics. It could be the widow, the orphan, it could be the immigrant, it could be someone who's sick. If we treat others with compassion, we gain credibility. My wife was just telling me a story the other day a patient that was kind of giving her a hard time. But as she has gone to continue to see this patient over time and been compassionate to this patient, she's just kind of watched as the hardness has fallen off. Compassion does that. We're not going to gain any credibility through prejudice or through mistreatment or discrimination or injustice. The world can do that on its own. It doesn't need us. No, we're the answer to it. 
Through compassion, we gain credibility for our witness and ministry in the name of the Lord. Number four, we gain credibility through action. And oh my, how important this is. Sitting back and just going to church and amening and talking about what we believe, we're not going to gain a whole lot of credibility there. Now, that stuff is important. It fuels everything about us, okay? That's the foundation. Don't let me diminish that. We'll say more about it in the course of this series. But at the end of the day, we must act on what we believe. And action gains credibility. If you look back, Again, I hate to keep referring this, but if you look back to all of the different town halls and interviews and, and surveys and all that were done leading up into this election year, people kept saying, act, act, act. We want somebody who will do something. We gain credibility through action. In what I, is what I would assume to be the most famous verse in James. Chapter 2, verse 18, someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. You show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So let's see who can prove it. The one who claims but has no evidence or the one who claims and proves it. Now, Jesus says in John 15, 8, my father is glorified when you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's got to resonate with us, doesn't it? I mean, how do we show? How do we display? How do we prove? How do we validate our faith in Christ if we have no evidence? But on the other hand, action, specifically action in the form of compassionate ministry, consistent witness, credible living, action earns credibility. You think about all these different ministries, people who've earned that credibility in the eyes of the culture. So many times it's by carving out that credibility over time and it is through action, action for those in need, um, action for those who can't maybe act for themselves, the unborn, for example, or perhaps the elderly, acting for those who need someone to act for them. When we act against injustice or we act against oppression, action gains credibility. Number five, we gain credibility through discipline. Now, I will tell you here, James focuses his remarks on one particular area of life, um, but discipline is the primary concern. This just happens to be the one place he mentions it, okay? If we can't control ourselves, if we live with the same lack of discipline and lack of focus and lack of intention as the rest of the world, how does that draw any attention to Jesus Christ? We're no different than anyone else. How does that gain credibility for the gospel in the eyes of the world? On the other hand, if we practice discipline, if we live in control of our thoughts and emotions and desires and actions, if we display a lifestyle that stands apart, that can be truly remarkable, especially in the face of adversity and temptation. And that takes us back to chapter one. Now, the particular place that James focuses here is on the issue of taming our tongues. He focuses on our speech, and we all know how easy it is to misuse our speech. And no, I'm not just talking about cussing or cursing someone. I'm talking about saying things you don't mean, 
being, well, again, this assaulting one another, being vile in your speech. The Bible does tell us that we're going to give an account of every idle word we speak. It's a big deal to God. And so James talks specifically about speech, but I want you to notice how he says it, okay? Chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, so he's focusing on speech, but notice what he says. He is a mature man able to discipline the whole body as well. So we will talk about what he says when we get there about speech, but we're going to enlarge it because his primary concern here is that you and I would live disciplined, spiritually disciplined lives so that we gain credibility. Number six, we gain credibility through wisdom. How would making bad choices gain credibility? Right? I mean, it just makes sense. How would making bad choices gain credibility? We, that's not going to speak for Jesus. I can do that without him. Right? On the other hand, if we will but ask, God promises wisdom. And he says he won't hold back. He gives to all liberally and without any reproach. So if we ask, he grants that wisdom to make good choices in life. And when we're surrounded by one bad choice after another, <laughs> what a testimony that can be, right? Some of us come out of bad choices. And this is such a witness for Jesus when we carve out a new life in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Oh, I could spend a week on that. I can't wait till we get here because there is so much. I just need that one verse. Can I tell you that this verse has been something I have hung on to as I have read through this book repeatedly preparing for this series? Man, there's so much in chapter 3, verse 13. Let me read it again. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Can't wait till we get there. That's such a statement. More to come on that. But let us live good and godly so that we can prove ourselves in the gentleness of wisdom. We are going to gain credibility as our bad choices become wise choices, as the old mistakes, as we rise above them, as we put aside the sin that entangled us and move forward with Jesus. As we do that, as we grow, as we talked about in chapter one, we gain credibility through wise action. Number seven, we gain credibility through humility. You know, in a world of social media, 24-7 uh, satellite TV, talk radio, on and on, this is so refreshing. I mean, it just seems like everywhere you look, it's just one blowhole after another spouting off. We don't even know half the time what they're saying. You know, it's like the old verse, right? Where two or more are gathered, there are at least three opinions. <laughs> I know that's not what it says, but it seems that way. And by the way, when we voice our opinions these days, it doesn't seem like we're too shy to impose them on someone else. And man, we can be so judgy. Oh, and so quick in church. Let's be honest. We do it too. How do we gain credibility like that? That's arrogant. It is. It's haughty. And yet the scriptures would tell us that we gain credibility in the sight of God. And we gain credibility in the sight of others if we act in humility. 
James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I don't mean to overstate and, and, and I don't know, be melodramatic, but I really believe we're living in an age of such arrogance. It, you just see it all around. I think in this age, one of the most beautiful marks of credibility in Christ is humility. Somebody who's humble. If you think of the people in your life who mean the most to you, I bet humility is a characteristic that you love and respect. I'm just going to be blunt when I tell you that haughty people aren't my type of people. Wasn't raised that way. I don't like folks like that. Humility makes its mark on me, and I believe it does on others as well. Our Lord gained credibility through humility. He was a lamb led to slaughter. He was a sheep silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. He gained credibility through humility. Maybe we can too. Number eight, we gain credibility through generosity. You know, we, we, in a world of hoarders, we're called to let it go. In a world that seems to just look out for number one, we're called to look out for others. In a world of takers and keepers, uh, tubs and vats, <laughs> we're called to be conduits, to just allow God's grace to flow through us to others. It, the Lord did say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Chapter 5, verse 4. Behold the pay of the laborers who mold your field and which has been withheld by you, cried out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. And by the way, and not just his ears, but if you look at some of the other things that come up in chapter 2, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I think it's a fair question, don't you? As we give, as we provide, as we share God's grace with others, we gain credibility. Now, yes, this can be misused and abused, and I get that, okay? But how in the world do we gain credibility in the eyes of others if we're hoarders and, and, and keepers and takers, if we're tubs and vats of grace and just hold it to ourselves? It's not going to be in any way remarkable. I don't need Jesus to be selfish. I can do that on my own. Old sinful man can do that. But in Jesus, I am to believe in the blessing of giving. I am to share the blessings he's given me. And again, I realize this can be overstated. It can be abused and misused. And I, I get that. Okay. But it's also possible to ignore the reality of the fact that as we are generous with others, as we share God's blessings, we gain credibility. It becomes an inroads to minister. And that's so important. As we alleviate misery, as we share God's blessing, and we do it in a way that's fair and merciful and compassionate, we gain credibility for our message. More to say on that later. Number nine, we gain credibility through commitment. 
and I would say this is one of Christianity's strongest statements. I think this is maybe the place where you could pick at us the least. Because the truth is, across the ages, in the face of all sorts of challenges, the testimony of Christ remains strong. The church stands. And as we patiently await his arrival, that testimony, I believe, gains even more strength and even more credibility. Church, we are called to, in a word, endure. Chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. We're called to stay with it till the end. We gain credibility as we do that. You know, it's easy to start well, isn't it? Takes a lot more commitment, a lot more heart, a lot more determination to finish well. You know, as a coach, I talk to my my players about this constantly. You know, it's easy to start a drill well, but finish the drill. It's easy to start a practice well, finish the practice well. It's easy to start a game well, finish the game well. It's easy to start a season well, finish the game well, or finish the season well. It's easy to start a career well, but finish your playing career well. Finish. It's kind of a rallying cry, I think, for a lot of coaches. It's so uh, tempting to start well and fade. Well, I think that goes to a lot of areas of life. It's easy to start a marriage well and fade. It's easy to start off being a good parent and then let stuff go. It's easy to start a job well and then let your responsibilities kind of fade. Oh, my goodness. How many areas of life is that true? Well, in our Christian walk, it's the same way. People are looking to see us over time. I think of the people that have meant the most to me, that have gained the most respect. It's those who've stuck with it. Those who are the same today as when I first met them, or maybe even stronger in the Lord. Commitment. Man, it just gains credibility. The more you stick around, the more you stay true, the more you endure. It's noteworthy. Christian commitment gains credibility. Number 10, last one. We gain credibility through community. I got to tell you over the years, one of the greatest complaints that I've heard from people, and I don't say this toward my church now, just as a whole, okay? Stuff like this. Well, I tried the church, but I couldn't relate. Well, I, I went, but I wasn't welcomed. I, I was a part of the church, but I got my feelings hurt. I was mistreated. I was ignored. I went, but no one spoke to me. I tried, but I didn't fit in. There was no place for me. I bet you've heard comments like that too. And sometimes, I'm sure that's legitimate. Sometimes, maybe not so much, but here's the deal. Whether you and I believe it's legit or not, if that person is using it as an excuse or a reason to not be part of the Christian community, then it's got to be at least somewhat concerning, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it could be a cop out. It could be an excuse. But we got to think about it. Too many people have told us that they came to us for community and they couldn't find it. They found churchy. They found Sunday morning, 
they found a service, but they didn't find community. I may or may not surprise you to know that testimonies of those who turn to cults or gangs, for example, or whoever, that many of those who turn to that and find that community in an unhealthy way tell us that they first searched for it in a church and didn't find it. Now, that may be part to do with them, part to do with the church. There's always shared responsibility, but it ought to get our attention. They started with us and we didn't bring it. And so they turned to someone else. They joined that gang and they found that community, that belonging. They went to that cult where they found that community they were looking for. So very important. Now, I'm not going to read this entire passage, but if you look in verses 13 through 20 in chapter 5, and we'll eventually get there. This will be our last message in the series. But, you know, James begins to ask some questions here. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you cheerful? Is anyone among you sick? Has anyone among you strayed from the truth? He starts asking this, and it's all questions about community. I would tell you that the strongest one would be right at the end in verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's an issue of community, that I would look out for somebody and care enough to help, to intervene, to kind of nudge them back on the correct path, not being judgy, not being holier than thou, but looking out for someone. Community. As we embrace each other, as we care for each other, as we minister to each other, as we build genuine Christian community, then our hope would be that people find in Christ what they're looking for. And in the process, our witness, our ministry, and most importantly, Jesus himself gains credibility. How in the world are we ever going to gain credibility in the eyes of seekers if we are not providing the community they're looking for? I read years ago that the two most basic human needs are security and significance. The more I've thought of it and experienced over the years, I think that's true. And community helps to provide both of those things. We gain credibility through community. I know, church, this is a lot to think on in one message. And I don't mean for it to all come out. I just felt today that since we couldn't be together in person, that you could sit there with this recording, with your Bible open, and, and could really have time to pause and, and, and think through each of these. We've charted the course now. And over the next... 12 weeks, counting today, we are going to explore these 10 things. Now, remember, two weeks on the first one, so it'll take us 11 weeks to cover the 10. At the end of that, I truly hope that we're in a better place, all of us, myself included, to know that we are living that authentic Christian life, that we have a credible Christian witness, that we're the real deal, authentic in our faith. Not only are we going to be more confident, but again, our ministry will be more effective, our witness stronger, and the Lord will be honored and glorified through each of us. I pray 
that will be the case. God, thank you for this chance to be together, if even just through a recording. 